Welcome to the Bonfire. I am Morgan, aka Bond Diesel, and this is a podcast about video game news, speculation, rumors, and reviews. This week, I'll be covering the Bioware layoffs, my Gamescom thoughts, rolling credits on Baldur's Gate 3, and much more. A few things before we get started. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, and on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, and comment with your thoughts, questions for next week, or to just say hello. A special thank you to all of my patrons, including producer-level patrons, Hassan and Horseman, supporter-level patrons, PK, The Don, Cage Nephilim, and Neuronix, as well as viewer-level patron, Zenra. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and getting ad-free episodes for as little as $1 a month, please check out patreon.com slash diesel. Gaming, news, grab a cold one and sit around the fire. I don't know. We're going to have to figure something out uh, for this new uh, this new branding. Um, this week, we have eight topics. Uh, the first one here is Bioware lays off 50 employees uh, from their studios. Uh, this story hit, I believe it was on Wednesday, and um, it, it, it's an interesting one because I think it, uh, it you know, there's no way to spin this is good. Like, uh, I want to make it really clear before I go into this, because um, when I when I'm talking about this, um, I think I do have some good insight that I've not seen anywhere else. If I have to be honest, um, <laughs> being a little, you know, cocky, maybe. Um, but there's also some copium here and just, you know, I'm a glass half full kind of person, um, unfortunately, and content creation, especially, but really just in gaming communities in general, um, these days it's hard to come by people who are generally positive. It's, um, from a community standpoint, it seems like people are just so pessimistic and, and I kind of get it. I kind of don't. Because games are fun, and if something related to gaming is making you angry or anxious or whatever, then maybe do something else, is my opinion. Creators are a whole different thing. Um, I've really seen some people, uh, and this is not just this situation, but it's included this situation, just really ride in the the negative, the sensational. Um, I I get it. You know, negativity and, and toxicity gets clicks. I just I would rather not get clicks and and stick with the way I am. So if you're listening to this, I assume you agree. And I appreciate that. So getting into the story, there was a blog posted on the Bioware official blog on uh, on Wednesday. It was a bit bittersweet because for months I've been anticipating a blog Um that we were due for some kind of update uh, to Dreadwolf, to maybe uh, Mass Effect. And um, the very first line was, <laughs> instead of talking about an update on our games, we have other news. And it went downhill from there. And so basically uh, what they what they said was that, you know, to try to be more agile. This is the big buzzword everyone's been mad about this week. Uh, and that's fair because it's stupid corpo terms. Uh, they, they are, they're laying off 50 people from, from Bioware and 
Well, let's talk about how this is going to impact uh, the projects we know about right now. So uh, Dragon Age Dreadwolf, um, what I'm going to talk about is a mix of what they said in the blog, as well as um, some revelations I've seen, uh, mostly from Jeff Grubb uh, of, of Giant Bomb and The Game Mess, uh, but as well as some other various articles I've read and, and things I've seen. Um, so the big thing with, with Dragon Age Dreadwolf is it seems like this won't impact that too much. Um, it seems like from the, I would say maybe dozen or two dozen people I've actually seen talking about being laid off or who have been confirmed to be the ones laid off. I am under the impression every single one of them were working on Dreadwolf. Um, so far, I haven't seen anyone that was related, uh, directly to the Mass Effect pre-production. And so like that does in the smallest way kind of go after the idea and the kind of common practice of shedding devs towards the end or after a, a game finishes production uh, or releases. Um, this situation is a little unique because it seems like at least a good chunk of these people who were let go are like 10, 15, 20 year vets at Bioware, not just in the game industry. Um, and so that it still tracks with that same idea, but it seems like they, you know, they aren't just cutting some contract workers they had early or something. They, they're, they're, they're cutting, you know, significant pieces of their team um, and, and people who, you know, are, are very important to Bioware or at least were in the past. And so I think that it, it kind of implies that this is about money, um, maybe more than anything. Um, I suspect that Gary McKay, the head of Bioware, and you know the the, the people in charge of these teams and these and and these st uh, two studios that are under Bioware, uh, didn't want to do this. It's um, I, I don't want to give a pass to anyone, um, especially the leadership of Bioware, um, but I suspect this is an order that came down from the top. Uh, Jeff Grubb talked a bit about how when EA split into EA Sports and EA Entertainment, that seemed like it might be a good thing. Um, but, you know, looking back at the statements from like Andrew Wilson afterwards, who's the head of EA, uh, he noted that, well, this is going to give these studios a chance to be more independent and do what they want, which is like, oh, that's great. That's what we all want to hear. Like, we want to see Bioware do the things it wants to do. But the second part of that sentence uh, was and be financially responsible or accountable. And so this is one of those things where if you look at Bioware on the books, it's probably cost EA a lot of money for a long time. We'll get back to the Dragon Age thing. I promise. I'm, I'm coming around. I, I didn't forget. But they did have Mass Effect Legendary Edition. And that probably was a very successful release for them. But Dreadwolf has been in development for a long time. And it's had multiple reboots. And it was even supposed to come out, according to Jeff Grubb, in September of this year now isn't expected until the middle of 2024 and almost certainly will be delayed past that and every day every week every month and especially every year you're developing a triple a giant open world game and that's the main focus of a whole studio at a big publisher like ea i mean that's millions and millions of dollars 
like many millions of dollars. Like this game, I assume is probably up into the hundred, 200 millions of dollars of development cost, mostly because of, of the time it's taken and, and the amount of resources they've taken up. Um, and that's fine. You know, that's the cost of making good games, but it makes moves like this start to make a little more sense. It's still, it doesn't make it right, but you start to understand a little bit, you know, why it seems like it was probably, you know, the people, the 50 people cut, I bet a majority of them were in the top 10% of pay at Bioware. And if that order comes from on high from EA corporate to Bioware saying, Hey, we, we need you to cut this much of your personnel budget because the Dreadwolf guy, if it's not come out for another year, even though it, it's probably mostly done, but you, you guys are still trying to, you know, get it in a good spot. You know, these, these, some of these people, you know, you got cut, you got cut some of this money. Unfortunately, that probably means people. And so maybe they, they, they fired 50 people, uh, you know, in this situation, rather than firing a hundred of a lower uh, tier of pay and things like that. Um, it, it, it's tough, but with Dreadwolf, um, it was announced that they were in, in alpha last year, 2022. Um, at the time, Mark Dara, formerly of Bioware and actually, uh, on contract working with them again, uh, to work on Dreadwolf. before that he had said the last dragon age inquisition went from alpha to release in six months. Now that obviously hasn't happened with Dreadwolf, but it means that once a game hits alpha, it could release relatively quickly. Now I assume things have happened, problems were found or something, or they're just trying to polish it really well. Um, and they think it's going to be worth that money to do that. But it's likely that Dreadwolf is like mostly content complete at this point, And that some of these people and maybe most of these people who were let go were kind of waiting for the next project. Their part was done. Uh, it's very possible. Some of the people were on the writing staff. Some were like tech leads and stuff, though. So I, I don't know enough about of, enough about game dev to like tell you like, oh, yeah, these people were just sitting around doing nothing. I'm sure they weren't. I'm sure they were still working their tails off. But this this just seems like a mix of probably somewhat typical things mixed with an extreme version of that. And um, and it's interesting now. With Mass Effect, uh, it was confirmed in this blog. It's still in pre-production. Um, we we know from a few months ago when Mark Dara was announced, uh, or it was you know reported on that Mark Dara was back at Bioware uh, doing consultation work. That uh, there was a little byline in that story of oh, and some of the Mass Effect pre-production team has also left to go work on Dreadwolf and to get it out the door. Um, that's interesting. Uh, to me, it implies that the Dreadwolf, um, you know, team is, you know, probably in need of some, you know, of more like senior help. Uh, and it implies to me that the Mass Effect pre-production team is probably bigger than you think. Pre-production can sometimes literally be one room full of people just shooting the crap and trying to figure out what uh, the next game could be. Some interesting mechanics, some interesting ideas. If they had enough to spare people to go to a different project, you're probably talking about a team that's consisting of at least a few dozen people. Um, and if you've seen some of the people announcing that they're working on the Mass Effect team, um, they aren't just like writers and like some of the directors. There's like mission developers and stuff like that. So, you know, these these they're, they're probably doing some pretty in-depth pre-production at this point. It's probably not just the most basic things they're 
I assume working on like vertical slices and stuff like that, they're probably trying to figure out Unreal Engine 5 because supposedly that's what they're using. So, I mean, I think this does this does impact Mass Effect, though, in, in some capacity, uh, whether it's the devs helping Dreadwolf instead of continuing work there, whether it's the fact that it probably Mass Effect probably won't go into like straight up full production until six months to a year after Dreadwolf comes out, which means it may not start production till the end of 2024 or even beginning of 25. And that means that, gosh, if it has a three year dev cycle, you're looking at 2027 to 2028, uh, which will almost certainly be the end of this current uh, console gen uh, and likely moving into the next one. And that um, and that's a that's a hopeful development cycle of three years. so we'll see about that. Um, the one thing I did want to talk about, I made a video about it. I wanted to talk about here as well because I have a little bit of new info. Um, Jeff Grubb and a few other articles I saw cited that uh, before this cut, that BioWare only had 250 employees. Um, just the gut feeling from that doesn't sound right at all. Um, BioWare uh, isn't, you know, they're, they're not the biggest dev, but, you know, 250 is really small for uh, a, a developer with two studios. Um, and then, you know, that would mean that after this layoff, they only have 200 people left and that's employees. That's, uh, you know, like that can include like custodial workers and stuff like that. So, you know, you're talking about maybe like 150 devs, uh, and now you're looking at like a hundred devs, um, just for Dreadwolf, that doesn't make sense at all. Um, maybe they're getting assistance from third parties and stuff like that, but the, none of this made sense. So I did a bunch of research. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing like super, super clear um, about how many workers are at BioWare. All of the resources I found were um, saying between four and 600, which makes more sense. That sounds more realistic. Um, their, the, their LinkedIn page is interesting because it, it seems like it tracks um, the number of people saying they work there currently. Um, and it seems like it's uh, it's it's up. Uh, a few percent from a few years ago and it's down a few percent over the last six months which makes sense because they kicked out the SWOTOR team uh, and uh, now they've had this layoff um, but it still suggests that they have between five and six hundred employees um, and then the last thing that actually came out today was a newspaper in Edmonton where the one of the studios is based uh, talked about the, the cut and that that studio a couple years ago had at least 300 people working there and so, you know, you just, you know, you make some assumptions. And if the Austin studio is roughly the same size, maybe a bit smaller because they lost the Star Wars team and say they're at 200, I mean, you're talking about a studio of probably five to 600 people. Um, and, and the reason I think this is important, and I talked about this in my other video on YouTube uh, in, in some more depth, is that a studio losing 20% of their developers uh, that story is a lot different than a studio losing eight, 10, you know, percent of their developers. They're both awful. They're both terrible. Um, they're both, you know, those people don't care, you know, what the percentages are. They're, they're trying to reestablish their lives today. And, and that's the biggest part of the story. Um, but, you know, if people are going to talk about, you know, oh man, is, how are they going to finish Dreadwolf if they lost a you know, almost a quarter of their devs. How are they ever going to make Mass Effect if they only have, you know, 150 devs working? Um, you know, if, 
I don't think that the 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 framing of that story, you know, I don't think that 250 or 200 number was malicious by most sources. I think it's probably just the thing that they found and that, that was mentioned. Maybe they, you know, made it up. I, I have no idea. But you're you're talking about like, you know, you're cutting 50 devs from a, an employer that's 250 employees. You're talking you're talking about a developer or, or a business that's shutting down. Like, you know, you you can't especially in a creative industry. Like that's a that's a lot of people to lose. Um, and while it is still really, really bad, if you, if you if you're losing 50 people from a company with 500, 550, 600 employees, that's noticeable. It's a still a big deal and something to keep an eye on. But it probably isn't doom and gloom, uh, especially if there's more factors at play. So um, I, I've reached out to Bioware and EA. I've, I'm, I'm in their press portal and I found a few people who might give me some answers. I did a little poking around from more, less official sources and and didn't get anything. I'm also trying not to press people uh, for info right now, especially people in that circle, because this is probably a pretty rough week for them. And I'm not trying to uh, be a part of that. So if Bioware and or EA responds and gives me some official statement about how big Bioware is and stuff like that, um, I will. Uh, absolutely uh, put it down in the pinned comment. I'll probably do like a short and post that. And then you'll see me talking about it uh, over on social media, um, you know, over on Twitter, Blue Sky, uh, Threads, uh, I'm Bond Diesel and all those places. So um, come check me out. I suspect we're going to get more about this story with BioWare. Um, I, you know, we have N7 Day coming up in a few months. Um, you know, I suspect they were getting this news out there to try to clear the way for n7 day and a, a likely dread wolf release uh, announcement but we're just gonna have to wait and see so keep an eye out second story is about gamescom uh, opening night live uh, this is an event hosted by jeff Keeley, who also does the game awards and summer game fest uh, this is for uh, it's it's gamescom and it's kind of like a quick showcase or quick depending on how you look at it um, of some of the things that were going to be at the show and, and just some other stuff. And, and it was not very good. It was kind of bad, actually. Um, it started off pretty cool. They showed a Starfield live action trailer, which I thought was great. Um, and then you know, Todd Howard came out and spoke about the game. And they showed it what appeared to be some new media um, from the game. Uh, like I said last week, you know, we know reviewers are checking this out. There's been some chatter. There's been some leaks. I'm trying to avoid basically all of it. I want to hit this game fresh. I did not get a review code, so I'll be, you know, booting it up on Thursday night or whenever it goes live for me. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm really excited to play it. Um, but that was kind of the highlight, at least for me, of the show. I mean, they had a few kind of interesting things, but it was mostly pretty Un, you know unremarkable i just don't straight up remember most of it so and it's not just because i didn't like it it's because there's just mostly filler and and that's what everyone knew it was going to be like uh it was going to be games we, we already knew but more of it and, and that's what it was and and that's fine it's just jeff Keeley's shows all just need to be half as long he he just they're they're too long and and I know he's got to fit in those sponsors and get all those deals and make all that money. Fine, you know, uh, you know, not gonna hate the, not gonna hate the player. I'm gonna hate the game, you know. But like, I don't know. It's just it's so consistent and it's only getting worse. Like, I really don't think his shows are getting better as they go on. I, I do think they're getting worse. Um, and and I just, 
I just miss E3. I know E3 was imperfect. It kind of sucked too, but it just, it, it at least had that feeling of grandeur, you know, that feeling of like, you know, it was just a bunch of commercials, just like the Keeley shows, but like, it just, I don't know. It just had a different energy to it. And I, I think it's a bummer that that's gone, but we'll see. Um, there was another idiot who got up on stage. Uh, if you remember the game awards last year, that weird kid like walked up on stage with uh, the Elden Ring devs, I believe. And then like said some weird stuff on the mic. Well, another group of people did it. Apparently it's some people who are known in Germany for doing these kind of protest interruptions. And um, it was weird because the thing they decided to say was like something about like Grand Theft Auto six. And it's just like one of those things where like, I get it. They're just memeing, they're trolling, whatever. But like, if you're going to have that moment, at least make it like worthwhile. The one dude was wearing like a Steve Austin hoodie. Like, I don't, it was a very odd situation, but something tells me that the game awards and summer game fest and, and future events, you're going to have uh, maybe an audience sitting near the stage who are like handpicked individuals that were invited. And then you're going to have a public seating uh, with a bunch of security guards in between the stage and them. I, I'm pretty willing to bet that's going to be the case uh, for now. But Gamescom opening night live was fine. There were some cool things that came out of Gamescom. Um, so I do highly suggest you check out some of that coverage from all of the typical uh, gaming outlets. The third story here is that Nintendo announced that um, I believe it's Charles Martinet, um, the Mario voice actor, is retiring from his role. Uh, they basically said that he's uh, retiring as the voice of Mario and like a, a ton of other characters in that universe uh, and switching to be like an ambassador for Nintendo. So he's going to travel around and, and meet people and kind of be an ambassador for Nintendo. Uh, there, there was no announcement of a replacement. Um, I have seen the more recent uh, Mario movie. I actually think Chris Pratt did an incredible job. I thought he was fine. Um, I know some people don't like him. He'll always be Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec to me. So, uh, you know, that's where I'm at with him. But I thought he did a really good job. I thought it was fine. Uh, but people have pointed out that Nintendo is a like notoriously cheap company uh, when it comes to paying voice actors and things like that. And there's zero chance they would ever be able to pay Chris Pratt enough money to be like the new voice of Mario and like the games and stuff like that. So um, there, there is the Mario, I think it's Mario World Wonder or whatever it is coming out later this year. That is not Charles Martinet, Martinet um, doing the voice of Mario there. And so they have replaced him and it seems like it was pretty seamless. And so uh, whoever it is, um, they... Um, they, you know, are, are, are figuring it out and uh, they have not announced who the replacement is at this time. Um, and I suspect it's going to be a while before we uh, before we find out uh, uh, who it was. And so uh, I don't think it really matters. It's probably gonna be people we've never heard of. And and that's OK. Story number four, I this guy rolled credits on Baldur's Gate 3. And so uh, my playthrough I did, uh, I did a human ranger, I romanced Shadow Heart, and I won't go and uh, we'll eventually have to do a spoiler cast or something where I'll talk about um, the things that happened in my playthrough. Um, one cool thing about this game is it does, it does seem like 
while you end up in roughly the same spot, kind of, uh, it, there are a lot of things you can do that impact what happens, you know, throughout the game. Uh, who who lives and who doesn't, and who's good and who's bad, and uh, there's it's it's interesting. There there's a lot of choices, and that is a very cool part of the game because it opens up almost endless replayability, or at least like realistic endless replayability. Like. Sure. I mean, there is obviously a limit to how many different playthroughs you could do. Um, it's probably more than any person should ever actually do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm sure someone will go through and play it, you know, 150 times. But I really enjoyed it. Um, the act one of the game is is obviously what they spent three years of getting feedback on from the community. Um, act two, I still thought was really solid um, and interesting. Uh, and then act three it's not small i've seen like some commentary from people being like oh you know it's unfinished and blah 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 and there's definitely like loose threads and things that don't make sense apparently there's like um there's multiple sections of the act three area and apparently there's a section that was like it was the act three would have had like a like twice the 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 area to play in uh but they cut something literally in the last month or two of development uh that you know likely also cut off a bunch of storylines and when you're playing through act three you can definitely tell there's like things that happen or there's just no resolution to some things or um, in theory a game like this you want to be able to work hard enough to have a happy ending for everyone and, and that's not possible uh, i guess depending on your opinion uh for this game so there's definitely flaws the final actions the, the final battle i guess is a non-spoiler spoiler way to say it is in my opinion it was abysmal it was awful it was not fun it was just it was a mess and i really hated doing it afterwards i've seen a lot of people complaining about wishing that there were more uh more resolution and stuff it reminded me a lot of some of the uh, feedback on mass effect 3 i've heard because this game basically is that like the size of the mass effect trilogy like like i've played through the mass effect trilogy 20 something times in the last few years i would say one playthrough of baldur's gate 3 is basically like playing the whole trilogy and it's kind of like act one two and three is a lot like mass effect one two and three uh arguably so overall I, I i think that this you know this game is very very good it's a master class in a lot of ways it's definitely not perfect um some of the hype i've seen people giving it is a bit much and it seems like a lot of the people who are talking about it have not finished it i can i don't think some of the things i've seen people say about this game um i don't think they'd be saying if they actually played the whole game at that point I'm glowing about this game. This game is so good. Everyone should play it. Even if you don't like turn-based games, you don't like high fantasy games. I am a hater on both of those things. And this game is still really good. The problem is, is that it has some pretty significant weaknesses. Now, Larian, the studio is already putting out a bunch of, you know, they're, they had just a big patch the day I'm recording this of like a thousand fixes, you know, that it seems like they're going to work. And, and from their previous games, it seems like they, they do a lot. And that this kind of always happens that their games always do kind of have to get like finished after they release and you know that's a fairly common thing in games now um so you know this game should be celebrated for sure i think if more reviewers actually finished the game before they reviewed it it's i think it's meta score would be a little lower maybe in the 90 high 80s range um but you know 
it's okay. It's for as long as it took me to do one playthrough where I missed huge chunks of the game. I never went to one entire section of the game. I only completed the like personal story of I think like two characters, maybe three out of the like eight that you can do or whatever it is. I missed half of this game. And, and that's why I'm already doing a second playthrough and I'm trying to get as far through it, doing everything that I missed and everything I did also trying to get to a good spot before Starfield comes out. Cause that's going to be my obsession for at least a while. Um, I could see myself bounce back and forth just to, you know, mix it up a bit and not burn myself out on either, but, uh, yeah, Starfield looms. So, but yeah, Baldur's Gate three, awesome game. I would say, you know, most people should try it out and play it. Um, if you're on the Xbox, yeah, apparently we found out this, uh, that they will come this year. Uh, basically, it sounds like Phil Spencer, the head of Xbox, had a meeting with the Larian Studio staff while he was in Germany. Um, they have a couple studios in Europe and um, and he did and they, they figured it out. And what happened basically was um, Xbox's whole shtick is that the Xbox Series S and X are supposed to be feature, you know, have feature parity, but that the S will play at a lower resolution and maybe frame rate. And what was happening was Larian was claiming that they couldn't get this split screen to work on Series S with this game. That's not surprising. Um, what a lot of people never think about with split screen is split screen isn't the one the the game rendered once from two perspectives split screen is the game being rendered twice at a lower resolution um and even then like this game is heavy i have a 5800x amd processor uh, in my computer i have a 3060 ti a gpu i have 32 gigs of ram i have all m.2 nvme ssds uh and this game still chugs on my computer um at like medium medium high settings and so i'm really curious to how the game's gonna work on playstation 5 and xbox series x uh, i'm really curious to how it's gonna work on series s on its own um but yeah this the, this isn't that surprising i think this was a good move by xbox to just you know give up the parody thing at least in certain circumstances they just they can't miss out on this game um i still think that there's more to this story i still think that uh, I think Larian absolutely did not want to release because they're releasing the PS5 version the same day as Starfield. If they were, were releasing the PS5 and the Xbox version at the same time, it would not be getting released that day. But they probably wanted to release that day for PlayStation because that's going to be, you know, PlayStation, you know, if they're feeling any FOMO fans of that uh, platform without having access to others, you know, it can be there. Well, I'm going to buy Baldur's Gate. That game, we already know that game's great. It's probably better than Starfield. So they're gaining off of those sales. They started selling the PC version a month ago, and they weren't going to do the Xbox version then because there's no way, there's not a chance Sony would allow them to release the Xbox version early. And so I still think there's some politics happening here, but I am glad that it seems like whatever the issue was, uh, they've resolved it and they're moving on. And I think that's pretty cool because people should play this game very very good and on that note we're gonna take a little s'mores break okay well man that was a delicious s'mores i, I burnt my marshmallow a little <laughs> okay story number five xbox announces raps for the series x no not the music but the clothing for your console 
Uh, so Xbox put out uh, an announcement this week. It was mostly focused on a Starfield branded uh, cosmetic cover for your Series X. Um, my first reaction to this was like, what is this? My second reaction was like, this is kind of genius. Um, as you already know, the PlayStation 5 has those two removable panels and uh, Sony is finally starting to utilize that more by selling like special covers and stuff. So you can kind of customize your PlayStation 5 a bit. Uh, there were other brands doing it and Sony shut that down real quick because they knew that was going to be their business once they got enough consoles out there. So with the Series X, you can't really do that it doesn't have like removable panels and it's not really designed where you can like clip things onto it and so what they did instead i think is super smart is they have a it's basically like it almost it, so supposedly it's supposed to be kind of like the ipad um covers like the real nice ones that material and it's essentially like a magnetic uh wrap that goes around the the series x it's not on the s at least not at this point the S is, would be a weird system to do this with because it's got so many events and stuff. Uh, but you basically wrap this thing around your Series X and it all the ports are available and everything is you know smooth and looks really good. And it's a cool solution. My main issue is that they're 50 bucks. So my Xbox Series X hides under a desk on top of a subwoofer. There's not a chance I'm getting any of these because I, I don't I can't remember the last time I saw my Series X, if I have to be honest. And so not for me, but if you have this in an entertainment system, uh, center or something where it's visible, uh, this may be a good option. They have the Starfield cover, obviously. They also have some other ones coming out or that are already out. Uh, the ones I saw were the like the camo design that you can put on the controllers uh, if you like customize a controller uh, and they look good. So I'm sure, that, you know, supposedly they're really high quality. People are pretty impressed with them, uh, but yeah, probably not my ideal, but I'm glad these exist because it seems like a smart solution to a uh, to a problem that at least some people care about. Story number six, uh, Avatar game shows new footage and talks about a bunch of tech that's being used in the game. Uh, so this uh, Avatar Frontiers of Pandora is the Ubisoft massive Avatar game that has been in development for like a long time at this point. I want to say like six years. Um, if I remember correctly, they they started doing this back in like 2017. They started putting this team together. So um, I'm excited to play it. it. I've seen a lot of people saying it basically looks like Far Cry and that it does kind of. Um, the, the caveat there is that it's being made by Ubisoft Massive and not it's it's in Ubisoft Massive Snowdrop engine, which is the, the division engine, among other games. And I understand it might look like Far Cry, but I bet it's going to play a lot different. I bet the environments are going to be probably some of the most beautiful environments. And, and this was in this trailer that they showed. Um, it looks like it's going to be absolutely gorgeous. Um, Ubisoft massive or you know, really, really good at environmental design and just making things pretty. And so um, we'll have to see how the game plays and what the story looks like and stuff. But I have basically zero doubt that this game will at least be a very pretty game and likely fun to play. So um, I'm excited for that game. I know it's kind of, I love the Avatar series. I, I think that it's really interesting. I um, I know for a lot of people just write it off as Pocahontas with blue, blue people, but it's like a really, really good telling of that basic premise. And uh, and the second movie was really, really good, too. And I, I thought the culmination of that movie was great. And I'm excited to see the what, like five other movies he's making in that series or something. Uh, it may it may uh, overstay its welcome, but we'll wait and see. Um, but I'm really excited to play that Avatar game that comes out, I believe, in December.
So it will probably kind of hit in a time where there's not going to be a lot of other new stuff to play. And it might end up getting a little more attention than it would have otherwise. Uh, one of the cool tech things that they pointed out was ray tracing um, for light and shadows. Uh, and the reason that's kind of exciting for me as someone who's a Division fan is that if they eventually are working on a, a Division 3 game, um, it's, you know, this version of Snowdrop that this game has will be the, the the most advanced version we've seen so far, probably surpassed by the Star Wars Outlaws version of the engine when it comes out. Uh, but knowing that, that engine that already has like beautiful lighting and, and, and just everything about that engine is so gorgeous, knowing that it's only getting even more technologically advanced, sign me up. I want to see uh, Division with some ray tracing. All right, Sony PlayStation Portable price has been revealed, and it's going to be 200 bucks. Uh, if you haven't seen this, imagine a PlayStation 5 DualSense controller split in half, and then you put like a 7-inch tablet in the middle and glue it all together. And that's what this thing is. Which, like, in the right situation could be amazing. You know, the, the, a lot of people love the DualSense controller, the way it feels, the, vibra you know, the, the haptic feedback systems it has. Uh, but then all the details started coming out about this thing, and it has no Bluetooth. So if you want to hook up headphones to it, they have to be proprietary Sony headphones that have Sony's like special codec or whatever that connects a uh, special wireless connection. Um, it has no local play, so you can't download any games to the system, including like there won't be like an app store where you can put like mobile games on there, as far as I can tell. Um, it's going to get jailbroken. Obviously people are going to root this thing. And I think it's an Android. I want to say it's Android or it could be proprietary operating system, but I bet people will figure out a way to use it as an Android tablet. Um, but it includes like, you can't even pop in like a media card and play like movies or music or anything on it. It's, you know, it's just what it is. Um, it, it doesn't do the cloud streaming like Sony's cloud streaming. So you can't have like one of their subscriptions and stream games directly from their cloud. Um, it will only work by streaming from your PS5 and you have, so you have to have a PS5, right? And so if you don't know how this works, it's called remote play. And so like Xbox um, cloud gaming or even the Sony cloud gaming system or, or a bunch of the other systems, um, you, you, you stream a video game, but you're, you're streaming it from a data center somewhere where there's a bunch of actually in the case of Xbox, a bunch of Xboxes and a server rack, and you're playing it from there and it's all optimized and good to go. Remote play is where you are playing on your console through this other device. So your console boots up, it connects to the internet and it streams your game through the internet to your device. And that's what this is. And that's all this is. Uh, to the point where they've advertised it as only working when you're at home, even though people are fairly certain it's going to work outside of there. But Sony doesn't want to be on the hook if it doesn't work very well when you're not on your own network. Because if you're on your own network, it in theory should work where uh, the, the X, your, your, your PlayStation 5, the game hits your router and then goes straight to your device. Instead of hitting your router, going to Sony servers, coming back and hitting your device. But if you are outside of your home and you're not on your native Wi-Fi connection, it's going to hit your router. It's going to go to the internet, go to whatever router you're connected to, and then hit your system. And at least this is all what I'm assuming. Um, and that's not going to be great. I'm assuming that's why they're, they're not advertising it as being a like play anywhere device. 
Um, and apparently they're targeting the same battery life as the DualSense controllers on their own. So it's a bigger battery because it's got to support the screen and the Wi-Fi and all that. Um, but, you know, no one brags about the battery life of the DualSense. So, you know, you're probably looking at a couple hours of playtime, which for most people is going to be plenty or you can be plugged in or whatever. But this device is just weird. Like it almost seems like it's just almost like a flex or something of Sony just being like, I bet you'll buy it. It's definitely a play um, to sell headsets, um, uh, headphones, earbuds, nice wireless headphones and stuff have in insane margins on sales. And so, and if you look, uh, the ones that are compatible with this, that have this special Sony, you know, wireless connection are like over a hundred dollars, $200, the earbuds and stuff. And I've heard that they're fine. They're probably not worth the money, uh, but that, you know, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. They, they may only make, you know, 15 or $20 on this, uh, this system, this PlayStation portable, but they'll make uh, $150 on the headset that you buy with it. And, and then that's, you know, that that's probably the play that they're really going for, but Hey, more options, more ways to play games. I'm sure it's going to find an audience. So that's exciting. And then the eighth and final story is just talking about the podcast rebrand uh, and the steps coming in the future and stuff like that. So uh, as you may have noticed, especially if you're a longtime listener, uh, the podcast is now called The Bonfire, um, a name very uh, well thought up uh, by a lovely Ubisoft massive developer, uh, Mr. J. And um, it's been fun doing the rebrand and figuring everything out. It's been a lot of fun in the Discord and on YouTube community and on Twitter and stuff, uh, you know, showing people like, hey, do you like this more or this? And and kind of deciding, you know, some of the look. And, and that's going to continue to evolve. If you've been around long enough, you know that, you know, every six months or so, I, I tend to change things up quite a bit. Um, but I'm loving the new podcast name. I think it's very fitting. I like being able to make goofy uh, weird th uh, announcements during the podcast of, you know, telling people to go eat s'mores and stuff. Um, I, I just, you know, and it's pretty much switched over. The big things I want to work on is figuring out like a new intro song and outro song. Uh, I may or may not have something uh, figured out for this. Uh, I, I haven't rendered this yet, so I don't know what the intro is going to sound like. I may use the old echo cast song. That's like a division ish song, uh, or I may just maybe have some, crackling of a bonfire and then, and then it leads just into the the into the show i think that would actually maybe be kind of uh kind of nice kind of cozy is what i'm going for so maybe some owl hoots in there but um yeah i'm gonna work on that um i'm pretty happy with how everything looks it's not completely different but it's definitely quite a bit different than things were before uh, but i'll definitely be refining and um We'll kind of keep on doing this thing. I know I'm re-energized and kind of excited to do, um, you know, maybe some new stuff or just kind of, you know, trying to keep, you know, improving everything just a little bit every episode. And uh, and that's what we'll keep doing. So, uh, you know, rest in peace. The, the Echo cast, you know, welcome to prominence, the bonfire. Now we're going to move into listener questions. If you have any of your own questions, please, please use the Google form questionnaire that I post on Discord and on Twitter and all over the place. Uh, you can ask questions in the Discord. There's a room just for that. Uh, and you can uh, get me in the YouTube comments as well as uh, my Twitter pages at Bond Diesel or at The Bonfire, as well as instagram and threads and uh blue sky and wherever else so 
hit me up on any of those places if you want uh, to comment, to ask questions, to do anything. I will be happy to talk about those things or take your advice or thoughts. The questions this week come from Master Prime. We'll hit a bit of a rapid fire here. When can we expect Starfield content from you uh, when it comes out? Um, I've been making videos. There are some videos uh, on my channel. I made one just this week. It kind of got overshadowed by the video I made a few hours later about the Bioware layoffs, but I have a nice little Starfield video talking about what we learned during Gamescom and things like that. Um, when it comes to the actual game, when it comes out, I'm not really one to do like guides and stuff like that. I made dabble in that a little because those videos get a ton of views especially with a new game um but i want to make sure it's something i'm like actually enjoying making i'm not just grinding my life away doing task videos or you know how-to videos well, i would rather just be enjoying the game so we'll see how that goes i want to stream it but it's definitely has it has like a Baldur's gate problem where um, no one's going to want to watch or, or, or most of my regulars won't want to watch me spoil things for them. So it may be a thing where, you know, I stream it, you know, my actual playthrough for like a day and then maybe I'll start a whole separate character just for streaming. So it's always a little behind everyone else. I think that's probably the right way to do it, at least for, you know, a few weeks or a month or two. So people can fully experience the game before, uh, you know, we all start talking about and showing uh all of the late game stuff uh does the bioware situation worry you it doesn't um in fact a lot of the like uh, i i call it like um uh, like concern or worry trolling where you'll see people on podcasts or content creators be like oh man i'm so i'm so worried about bioware this sure doesn't look good but the way that they're talking about it and their kind of general attitude about it is they're like, oh, I can't wait to milk this story. And if they shut down, it's even better because then I'll have an even more of a story to talk about. So um, I'm more worried about the way the perception is going to hit the people who are still there and the in the in the leadership of Bioware and even of EA. If they see this like sentiment of like, oh, guess Bioware is going down the drain. You know, I don't want to give Andrew Wilson any ideas. So. I'm not worried about Bioware, um, really, especially if, if I'm right about some of my research and stuff. Um, it's, a, it's a bad week for them, but it shouldn't be the end of the world. And the thing is, here, here's the thing. When you when you fire a bunch of really high paying people, they, they, you, you tend to replace them with people who are way cheaper. And so you're probably going to see them actually hire a little bit, uh, probably around the time that Dreadwolf actually comes out so they can ramp up from Mass Effect. So not worried. Seems like a lot of other people are, though, for either good intentions or not. Uh, do you like detailed food on games? I do not. I think food is a weird concept in games. I hate that it's basically just health in most games. Uh, I famously don't think I ate anything in Cyberpunk when I played it. So um, I appreciate the memes with Starfield and stuff and having the whole uh, the sandwich stealer, the, the developer there who all she does is steal sandwiches for her. Uh, her testing playthroughs so uh yeah that, that stuff's all fun but i could no i don't care I, I avoid consumables in games as much as possible which has definitely bit me in the butt in Baldur's gate but there you go so thank you for the questions those were wonderful um please next week if you have your own questions or stories or just opinions or topics or whatever uh, hit me up i would be happy to talk about them on the show 
Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of The Bonfire and the 250th episode of this thing. This thing I've been doing for four or five years now. It's it's pretty crazy. It's it's really cool. I'm very proud. Um, you know, we're not the biggest podcast on earth and we don't need to be. And um, I'm really happy with the little community we have. And I love when we get new people in it. And, and, you know, if you are new, if you listen to this and you're someone who hasn't participated in the discord or um, hasn't been to one of my Twitch streams or, you know, doesn't interact with me in any way. Um, that's cool. If that's how you want it, all good, no pressure, but you know, we are out there. If you want to chat, we're always happy to have a fun little debate or a little uh, chat about stuff that's going on in gaming and uh, and so on. So it's a solo podcast. The the main, you know, I don't have someone sitting beside me to talk to. You're my person and we can't talk during the show. So please talk to me after. Uh, you can find me all over the Internet as Bond Diesel, including on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and over on Twitch. I stream a couple times a week uh, and typically at least once on the weekends. I'm also on threads and blue sky and all those places. It's all bond diesel. If you want to support my content, uh, check out patreon.com slash bond diesel subscribe over at Twitch, especially if you have an Amazon prime free sub or check out my merch in the link in the description below. There is bonfire merch there. Now I feel so bad. Someone bought echo cast merch the day I was changing all the branding. Uh, but in a way, they kind of got the last of an era, and that's actually kind of cool in its own way. And with that, that's all I have. So until next time. Thank you.